lesson today is from the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And the one who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came too little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each one is busy with their own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on people and beast, and on all their laborers. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God has sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's stand together as James reads for us the gospel reading. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew in the sixth chapter, beginning at the 19th verse. Glory be to thee, O Christ. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. 
Would you pray with me? Father, awaken our spirits by your Holy Spirit to do the work of the upkeep of your kingdom here on earth for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So we're uh, starting a new sermon series through the summer titled Faith Out of Exile. Faith Out of Exile. Now that title has double meaning. The first that immediately jumps out is that we're now having to figure out again how to live our Christian faith as we've just gotten out of two years of literally being exiled from one another and from the world. I mean, that's long enough time to warp our sense of being and our way of living as individuals, as a society, and even as a church. The second meaning of faith out of exile affirms that our identity as Christians is shaped by our being spiritual exiles in this world. That is, Christians will always be not at home. We will not be at home in this life so long as heaven and earth are still at odds. And the church in every generation and every era will always be in exodus until Jesus comes back. So for 11 Sundays, for now and till the start of uh, September, we will be going through the books of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They're the last three books of the English Old Testament. They contain prophetic words that were addressed to a remnant of Israel that had just gone out of exile from Babylon. And they were now just figuring out how to rebuild and restart their national religious life back all over again in their homeland. Now, I know their situation was drastically different than ours, but there's a lot of touch points that we can glean from, which are as relevant to us as they were back then to the ancient Jews. Because frankly, there, there isn't anything new that God is saying to us or was saying to them, to the post-exile remnant of Israel. It was a matter of reminding them again of what they had forgotten after so many years away. They're so out of practice and so out of touch. And God redirecting them to where they were supposed to go. They've lost their way. They've come back to the starting line again. Where are we headed? The same way for us, there were many things that we all lost, that we've lost touch with during the lockdown. We've lost loved ones, lost our plans, our routines, even our hopes and dreams. None of us are coming out of exile unscathed. None of us are coming out of this unscathed. And we're now having to pick up the pieces where we've left them. Now, one of the questions we have to ask right now is, what do we pick up again? What do we pick up again? And what do we leave behind for us to keep moving forward? We have to keep moving forward. We have to move on as people, as a society. Now, we're at a very rare moment as a church and as a society to start all over again. We presented this peculiar opportunity to restart, to rebuild, to refresh and revive our life of faith as people, as a family, in your households, as a church. And given so, we must pay particular attention to our ways right now, to consider our ways of being, our ways of doing, because we are right now, we are re-establishing new patterns and habits, 
We're reestablishing new routines and rituals as individuals, in your families, among your kids, in our church community, in this new context of mid-post-pandemic. In the way we're now moving on, in the way we're moving forward, they will have lasting impact on our maturing or not maturing as Christians, to how our kids and grandkids will grow or not grow in the faith, and to how we re-engage or disengage in mission and service in the city and even around the world. Now I'd like to invite, I invite you to turn to your Bibles, if you have them, or in your apps, to the book of Haggai, or you can grab a pew Bible in front of you. It's a blue book. It's on page 982. We're in the first chapter of Haggai. In our first reading, it was in chapter 1. The context here is that a number of repatriated Hebrew families, they were already eking out an existence in a rebuilt Jerusalem, not the same one as before, but they're rebuilding. They were under the leadership of Zerubbabel, their governor, and the high priest Joshua. And then so much has changed for them. Even the way the people now mark time, their their calendars, notice in verse 1, it's now in reference to the reign of the prevailing pagan king, King Darius. That, that, wasn't, that didn't used to be the case for the Jews. Their sense of time now revolved around which king is currently conquering the world. Even the name of their leader, Zerubbabel. That's not a Hebrew name, that's a Babylonian name. They've assimilated so much of where they were. And so much has changed after a long time in exile. And now they're back in the land for the first time after some 70 years. An entirely new generation of Jews, alongside with the old who remembered all that had gone through. And they're figuring it all out again, even for the first time for those who are newly born in Babylon. Now our reading was set around the year 520 BC, around there. Now in that year, almost two decades earlier, the Persian king Cyrus defeated Babylon and permitted all the peoples and nations that Babylon captured to go back to their homelands. For the Jews, they were allowed to go back to Palestine, and they were towing with them this, this hefty imperial grant fund that they got from Cyrus towards rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. So they got to work. They got back to Jerusalem, but the neighboring Samaritans, they got angry. They got so, they got so afraid, they lobbied against the construction, and they managed to get the next emperor after Cyrus to sign off on a cease and desist. That was an imperial decree, so they had to stop. The work at the temple stopped. Only the foundations were set. Now back to our reading. It's been now nearly 20 years that that temple foundation was just left there. It was just in draft mode. The floor plans were just there. And this is when God now chimes in for the first time. We read in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time, has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. We hear here the people's reasoning for not getting back at it. They're saying, God is hearing this, it's not yet time. No, the, the, the timing is still off. I don't think, I don't think it's the right time. It, it's risky. You know, to some extent, you kind of hear the rationalization, the reasoning from the people. We empathize with them, Right? The, the, the people, they hit a lot of road bumps along the way, a lot of opposition along the way. And at the time, their economy was just starting to pick up, and the people barely had any savings left. 
People were afraid to invest in anything big and to give up what little they already have left. And inflation, as we've read, was outpacing their own earnings. And the market was volatile. It's not the right time. It's too risky. We're just getting started. It's been so long. The land needs to be tilled. There's so much work to do. It's better to play it safe. Kind of know what that feels like right now, right? But God noticed that despite all that was surrounding them, the circumstances that they're in, the people were at the same time doing these big renos in their houses. In verse 4, they were wood paneling the insides of their houses that were probably made out of stone. There was a lot of stone in the area. So that was the main material. And so paneling made these stone structures from the inside more stable. And at the same time, it also beautified the inside of their stone houses. There's nothing wrong with renovating your house. But what they were doing, despite all that they were experiencing, showed, showed their priorities. Things are bad out there. The temple was left as a plot of dirt overgrown with weeds. But everyone was so busy renovating their own homes well beyond what's necessary with the little that they had left. Priorities. God calls his people out. They're saying it's not the right time to rebuild my temple because it's too risky. And meanwhile, you're putting in what little savings you have left to make your houses into more comfortable luxury homes. That's what you're doing. Now, this isn't God getting all sore and just then guilt-tripping his people into save a bit for me. Think about it. He's not doing that. God doesn't need money. God doesn't need buildings. Rather, the temple stood as God's presence in this world rather than, versus than, his absence in this world. The temple was a physical representation that God is interested in us. He's interested in this world In fact, in the temple, heaven and earth are intersecting and are, in fact, interacting. The temple was this two-way traffic entry point through which the blessings of God will trickle into earth by way of priests and Levites and into which the praises and prayers and sacrifices of a people could rise up and be delivered to God. So the temple wasn't just brick and mortar. It's actually the breaching of heaven into our time and space through which the economy, the policies, and procedures of heaven may begin to spill out and reshape the lands and lives of humanity. So by the people choosing to neglect the temple, the people were actually saying this, heaven on earth can wait. Heaven on earth, that can wait. That's too risky to do. Better to attend to my own house and to my own family's needs. It's better to do that. Heaven on earth can wait. I mean, don't hear me saying, neglect your homes, neglect your households, give more to church. That's not what I'm saying. It's God's revealed will for us to take care of ourselves, our dependents, to attend to the upkeep of our houses. That's responsible. That's wise to do. It's righteous to do that. But if we are preoccupied and are prioritizing our own houses and our households and our incomes over and above God's kingdom, there's an issue. 
There's a problem. Yes, God's kingdom isn't just about church buildings or church budgets or church ministries. It's more than that. Yes, it includes caring for our needs, your children's needs, our homes, our families, while, while also, also and especially towards attending to the needs of those less fortunate than we are. So then in verse 7, God says to the people, this is what you need to do now. I've called you out. You know how you've saved up for those wood panels that you'd put inside your homes? Go grab and go to the hills, grab the same wood, chop them down, and panel up my own house. Panel up my temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. In other words, God is saying, put in as much effort and money and attention into the upkeep of his kingdom as you would into putting as much attention and care and detail towards renovating your own house if you have a house. Those of you who own property, who among you would cheap out on labor and materials if you have the chance and the resources to redo your kitchen, your bathroom, your basement. In the same way, God is saying, don't cheap out. Don't drag your feet. Don't play it safe when it comes to rebuilding and restarting his mission that we've left fallow for the past two years in a much minimal sense, but we're now starting to pick it up. His service here in Toronto or wherever God has called you, your family, and little t to be. Consider our ways. Pay attention to our ways. Are we so busy with our own houses, nitpicking this and that? We're just fiddling. It's been two years at home. We see so many things wrong with our houses. I get that. But are we so busy with our own houses while God's temple, God's kingdom in the city lay unmanaged, unaddressed, unattended, underfunded? Miraculously, in verse 12, a revival, a revival breaks out. In Jerusalem, and the citizens and their leaders, they were of one mind and spirit, and they rushed all to rebuild the temple. And in record time, this is, this is really, really impressive. It took 24 days. It took 24 days to complete an insanely short timeline for this project to complete. But as we will see next week, because it took them that quickly to finish, the temple wasn't all that pretty to look at. It was shoddy wasn't nice. It wasn't polished as the Solomon, Solomonic temple. Well, that's for next Sunday. But as the people were working hard together to finally finish what they started 20 years ago, God was with them. God cheered them on. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. I am with you. Those were the same words that God said to Joshua hundreds of years ago. And to Israel, I am with you. During the Exodus, when they were just heading out for the very first time, a very risky thing, they were so afraid, into the promised land, a land they never knew, a land their ancestors never knew. I am with you. Here again, the same God saying the same words to a people coming out of their own Exodus, spurring them on to press into this hard work, a risky work, a volatile work, to be a nation of priests, be a a nation of priests again. Live up to who you're called to be. Don't be afraid. 
rebuild my temple, offer sacrifices, sing and praise, have the Levites come in, see his kingdom flow from the courts of the temple and into the world. I am with you. Don't be afraid, declares the Lord. Some 500 years after this, Jesus Christ went into a much grander and more impressive building, much greater than that of Solomon. It was renovated by Herod the Great. He comes into this temple, and then he says something audacious. He says, I am the temple. In fact, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in a record time of just three days. I'm going to do this. That's in Jesus that heaven and earth are intersected and are interacting it's in Jesus that heaven is, is breaking into earth, where earth is being reconciled to God. Through Jesus, the economy and the policies and procedures of God's heaven and kingdom are breaching into our time and space, breaching into your own heart, my heart. And among the radical things that Jesus ever said and taught, this is one of his guidelines or his policy and procedure given to us. This is what he taught us to do. Do not worry about stuff in this life. Don't be anxious about your investments, about your houses, about the market, about your grocery bill, about your futures or your RESPs or retirement funds. Don't hoard all that you can in this world because they can get stolen. They will rot. They will disappoint They'll be someone else's when you die. Rather be preoccupied with God's affairs. Be obsessed. Be obsessed in taking care of others. Taking care of those less fortunate we are. We are blessed to bless. Just as we would save up only the best for ourselves and for your loved ones. Pay attention to the kingdom of God that is breaking forth and out all around you inside of you, in your kids, in your homes, along your streets and floors, in your workplaces and industries. Because if we continue on a path that keeps delaying participation, that always plays it safe, dragging our feet, saving up for ourselves only, we'll be left behind. We will be left behind in the wake and the surge of God's kingdom that is slowly taking over this planet. And we would have missed out. We would have missed it. It's not too late. We're we're starting something new. We're starting new habits. How are we spending our time? How are we spending our credit cards? How are we spending our time with others or not with others? Let's consider our ways. Let's pay attention. How are we rebuilding or neglecting our Christian faith in your house, among your kids, among us here in church? How are we engaging or disengaging from each other and from the world that never stops hurting? It's always wanting to heal. It's always helpless apart from the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Seek. God's kingdom and his righteousness and his justice first. God will take care of the rest. He will take care of you. He'll take care of your future. By his Holy Spirit, we can start even now. We can start all over again. God may take pleasure in us, in our work, 
when we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true temple of God, and he is always making everything new, let's participate in that. Thanks be to God. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.